It's good news. I think it takes seriously the challenge that we face as a community and as a province. Tonight, why the province announces a mass COVID vaccination for Whistler. Plus, why the Vancouver Canucks' first day back at practice today didn't happen and may not tomorrow either. And... I would be a little bit worried if, if I was sitting there. An explosion of restaurant patios is raising a new safety concern that has nothing to do with COVID. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news tonight and bad news for local skiers. Hopes for an extended ski season on Cyprus have been dashed by COVID-19. Cypress Mountain just announced today is the last day of operations as scheduled. It adds, given the quality of the current snowpack, it had hoped and planned for a continuation of the season. But because of the rapid spread of variants right now, management decided closing for the season was the responsible thing to do. Today is also the last day of operations for Mount Seymour. Of course, a provincial health order shut down Whistler two weeks ago to help stop the spread of COVID-19. And now health officials are taking an even more aggressive approach. Starting tomorrow, all adults who live and work in Whistler are eligible for the vaccine. Grace Key joins us from Whistler with the details. Grace. This is something that the Whistler mayor has been pushing for. And as you can imagine, this comes as welcome news for the residents. It's good news. I think it takes seriously the challenge that we face as a community and as a province. Whistler Mayor Jack Crompton says the mass vaccination for his community is welcome news. Two weeks ago, the province shut down the Whistler Blackcomb Ski Resort due to a spike in COVID numbers. It's an opportunity for us to turn our minds towards summer and know that we'll be able to really uh, provide a safe experience and that our community will be protected as they offer uh, hospitality. Mass vaccination starts on Monday, continues for two weeks, and is for those 18 years of age or older. It's only for people who live permanently in Whistler or who work there. Proof of eligibility includes a driver's license or credit card statement or a current pay stub. More than 13,700 people are eligible for the two-week mass vaccination. I'm really, really excited for the mass vaccination. Hopefully we'll get like back up and running for the uh for the biking and the summer should be sweet i'm very excited for it yeah of course can't wait for things to get back to normal this is great from january 1st to april 5th there were 1505 confirmed covid cases the majority were among adults 20 to 39 years of age there have been three surges in whistler with the latest one the most persistent we actually vaccinated a significant number of workers on the mountain and in the, in the large hotels who have staff housing, uh, we vaccinated in the range of 3,000 a couple of weeks ago. But there remain, you know, really thousands of workers from the corridor who come and work in Whistler. And we, we feel that we're at a place now where we, we've got to get better containment of this surge. For more details, you can go on the Vancouver Coastal Health Whistler website and they will have a breakdown of the age groups and the vaccination clinic locations. In Whistler, Grace Key, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, the mass vaccination in Whistler is raising some questions about the rollout. First of all, do mm -hmm. we know when health officials might resume inoculating frontline workers and when the next age group can begin book their bookings? 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Our, our rollout is going to change over time. I talked to Health Minister Adrian Dix today. Uh, it's going to become more strategic because a lot of it relies basically on how many doses we have. They, these arrive in very inconsistent patterns. Uh, one of the challenges for the next few weeks is the number of Pfizer doses, which has been our sort of our workhouse vaccine, workhorse vaccine, is going to take a dip uh, significantly less than 100,000 less doses of Pfizer coming in. Moderna is almost totally unreliable, even though we rely on Moderna. But AstraZeneca is part of that parallel rollout for frontline workers over the age of 55. We caught up with Dr. Penny Ballum, as you saw in Grace's story, on this issue again. She says the number of doses is going to take a bit of a dip in mid-April, uh, and they're still looking at how to get those shots in the arms of frontline workers. Unfortunately, we're, we're going into a bit of a, a, a few-week spurt where looking ahead to, you know, about the 19th of April to the middle of May, we're we're not going to have as much um, Pfizer and Moderna as we've had over these last few weeks and as we'll have this week and into the week of, um, um, you know, just this next week of April 12th. Once we get into the week of April 19th, our Pfizer and Moderna will, will slow down a bit. But nonetheless, we're working very hard at, at seeing how we can sort of return our attention to the frontline worker campaign in the very near future. That's going to be very interesting over here tomorrow, Colleen. Tomorrow's throne speech day, uh, which is usually a big deal. Uh, but I can tell you, Health Minister Adrian Dix and Dr. Bonnie Henry have continued to, well, are have scheduled and maintain their regular Monday briefing of COVID-19 at 3 o'clock. The reason is they think going four days without releasing case numbers and what's going on there uh, really isn't, doesn't serve the public well. So we could be looking at 4,000 cases over four days. Tomorrow, probably in excess of 3,000 cases. I have a feeling a lot more people are going to be paying attention to the COVID numbers in our situation tomorrow rather than that throne speech. In any event, we'll carry that live at 3 o'clock on BC1, and then you and I will be on, as usual, to chat about what we've learned. As usual. All right. Thanks so much, Keith. Last night, we told you the Vancouver Canucks had the green light to return to practice today. Well, this afternoon, we learned that was delayed for at least another day. The NHL says an additional Canucks player has been added to the COVID protocol list. The team's facilities were set to reopen today, but that won't happen until Monday at the earliest. And that decision isn't expected to impact the Canucks' first game back on Friday when they're set to play the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Arena. 21 players and four coaching staff have tested positive for COVID. The Canucks say a single player contracted the virus in a public location before spreading it to the group. And they have been a lifeline for businesses during the pandemic. And as the indoor dining ban in B.C. continues and the weather improves, many restaurants are setting up outdoor eating areas. But as Kristen Robinson reports, there are new safety concerns about some street patios and they have nothing to do with COVID. The pivot to patios is giving struggling restaurants room to survive during COVID. But how safe are diners temporarily parked on the street in high traffic areas? Yeah, I would be a little bit worried if, if I was sitting there. If a car were to run into that wooden fence over there, I mean, you're, you're just done. In New York City last month, wood tables and chairs sent flying when a speeding van careened into a car, crushing an outdoor dining space in midtown Manhattan. Seven people, including two children, were hurt as the area was hit by debris. There's no warnings. There's no sign saying new patio ahead. There's no concrete barriers. Retired traffic cop Grant Gottgetru says some patio patrons are getting a taste of what could be a dining disaster. We're trusting the motoring public too much. 
with our safety. I wouldn't sit on any of these patios. While some businesses appear to have MacGyvered their own safety upgrades, the city of Kamloops reworked its patio bylaw last spring, allowing the entire sidewalk to be used with temporary sidewalks built into the street, protected by concrete barriers. What we would lose in taxation if these restaurants and businesses were to close down and the storefronts were to stay empty for multiple years uh, would be significantly higher than the $300,000 investment. Kamloops used COVID relief funding and purchased patio stones that can be reused each year. I do think it's important that we consider um, safety measures. Vancouver Councillor Lisa Dominato says city staff are reviewing the patio program. If there was an incident, who's liable? Is it the city? Is it the restaurant owner? Amid the questions, she says it's clear the public wants patios to stay post-pandemic. The city maintains traffic and patron safety are key criteria in the temporary patio permit approval process. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A school district in central B.C. is making the pivot to outdoor learning during the pandemic. The Caribou Chilcolton School Board planned and built 20 log classrooms for students in the Williams Lake area. Community trades workers were hired locally for the unique project, which was approved by the district last month. Marie Sharp Elementary and Alexis Creek Elementary and Junior Secondary are two of the schools benefiting from the new outdoor learning spaces. The district says the log shelters will outlast COVID and be used by teachers and teaching assistants in the future. Three weeks after a deadly mass stabbing in North Vancouver, the community is reclaiming the plaza where the violence took place while also trying to help everyone heal. Imadi Gahi has more on the grassroots effort to overcome the tragedy. These girls are dancing for a community that is slowly piecing itself back together. We're here to uplift the community through music and dance and we're help showing people if they need help how to do it and we're in the front if they need it. Yeah. We're here for like to show sympathy and kindness about what happened. It's been an emotional morning. The North Vancouver mother organizing the physically distanced flash mob you're seeing says the idea here is to honor the victims of last month's mass stabbing in this very plaza where one person was killed and six others injured. Uh, we had one of the um, survivors from the day here and she was watching her friends dance and it was, it was quite emotional to watch. Uh, and it really brought home the fact that we're doing this to reclaim this space. For weeks, as a memorial of flowers grows, the entire Lynn Valley community has been trying to heal from overwhelming sadness. And it hit home really close, this one did. Across town Sunday, close to 50 players laced up for a local soccer camp, also collecting donations. You want to take the attention off the incident and more onto the survivors and give them the best chance by donation or any way we can. It's hard to imagine positives from the Lynn Valley tragedy, except for maybe one thing, the great showing of resilience, togetherness and community. What happened here on March 27th has affected everyone. Lived here my entire life and I've never felt the sadness that I felt for my community since this event. And by bringing cheer back to a place of sorrow, the intention is clear. We thought it'd help the community. A community attempting not to move on, but in their words, move forward without fear. Amadagahi, Global News. 
Police on Vancouver Island have seized the vehicles of two alleged street racers. Saanich police say one of their unmarked units intercepted the two vehicles for racing early this morning. In a tweet, traffic officers are reminding drivers that attempting to arrive at a destination before another vehicle or preventing another vehicle from passing constitutes street racing. Both vehicles were impounded for seven days. Major construction begins Monday morning on a notorious stretch of the Trans-Canada Highway. The improvements on Highway 1 through the Kicking Horse Canyon include widening the highway, improving wildlife barriers, and mitigating avalanche and landslide risks. Travelers between Golden and the Alberta border will have to take an hour-and-a-half detour for the next five weeks until the work is completed. Coming up next, a tragic accident claims the life of a child this weekend. Plus, why this item found on a Victoria beach had authorities taking extreme precautions. And have you caught the running bug? Why more and more of us are hitting the streets. Those stories as the news hour continues. The roof of a home collapses and it's all caught on camera. We'll have that story for you coming up on the news hour. The family of a Kelowna toddler who was hit by a car is about to mark a somber anniversary. It's been nearly a year since Gage Banman was killed, and although a charge has now been laid in connection with the case, his father says it won't bring his family justice. Megan Turcato has more. I feel very, very sad and emotional. It's, uh, it's a hard time for us. It's been almost a year since a Kelowna family lost their young son, Gage. He was an amazing little boy. He was 15 months old. He was our little bulldozer. We miss him a lot. Um, we don't get to see a lot of his first, don't get to see him go to kindergarten. The toddler was found in the driveway of the family's McCurdy Road home after he was hit by a vehicle last April. I have scars on my legs from diving into the dirt to try and save him and hold him together. Now a single charge has been laid in connection with the incident that left Gage dead. John Pysiak is charged with operation of a vehicle while impaired. The justice system, it seems like, you know, it's failing us a little bit. Gage's father, Mark Banman, feels prosecutors should have pursued a more serious charge related to impaired driving causing death. We feel that there's no accountability. He was 15 months old. His life mattered. And we'd like to see somebody be held accountable for that. The BC Prosecution Service says that Operation While Impaired was the only charge a Crown Council determined met the province's charge assessment standard. That standard requires that prosecutors look at both whether there's a substantial likelihood of conviction and whether prosecution is in the public interest. But with no charge directly connected to Gage's death, the family is feeling like their son isn't getting the day in court he deserves. I think it's an excuse. I would just say to see some justice for our son. Pysiak's case is in court on Monday. He's scheduled for a first appearance. None of the allegations against him have been tested in court. Megan Turcato, Global News, Kelowna. A young child has died after a tragic accident on Mount Seymour this weekend. North Vancouver RCMP say they were called to the mountain last night after reports a 12-year-old was seriously injured. The child was rushed to B.C. Children's Hospital but later died. The B.C. Coroner's Service has taken over the investigation.
A statement from Mount Seymour Resorts says the boy had collided with a tree on the side of a ski run. Both the mountain and RCMP expressed their condolences at the tragic loss. An explosives disposal team was called to Oak Bay this weekend following an alarming discovery at a local beach. Oak Bay police say an industrial explosive was found Saturday afternoon washed up on the shore. Police say it was safely removed and destroyed after assistance was called in. The village of Radium Hot Springs west of Banff National Park has unveiled a signature piece of art that you can't miss. The new roundabout at the crossroads of Radium Hot Springs features a 3D installation recognizing the history and future of bighorn sheep in Radium. Uh, the bighorns artwork depicts two large ram horns in the center of the recently completed $11.9 million traffic calming measure. The art, created by a company and artist from Salmon Arm, lights up at night. When they decided to do uh, some traffic management here at the crossroads, the traffic circle became the option of choice. They built it and right from the beginning the Ministry of Transportation indicated that here was an opportunity for us to have something iconic, something that screams, you've arrived, you are in Radium Hot Springs at the gateway to the beautiful Columbia Valley. The roundabout received funding from the federal government and BC's Transportation Ministry, which says it will improve traffic flow and safety for drivers going through Radium Hot Springs, not to mention something to look at. Coming up next, what we're now hearing from other members of the royal family about the death of Prince Philip. Plus... Get out of the car, now! A black and Hispanic army officer sues police after having his life threatened at a questionable traffic stop. And the story that will give you shivers the next time we have a windstorm as the news hour continues. Ontario is once again the epicenter of the pandemic in Canada, breaking a record in daily COVID cases. More than 4,400 new cases were reported in Ontario, the most ever in a single day. Managing exposure to the virus has become part of our daily lives. From the start, Dr. Bonnie Henry has advised us all to get outdoors. With the rise in variants, however, she's advising us to wear a mask and keep our distance if we're gathering outdoors with extended members of our bubbles. And now, as Catherine Ward explains, one frontline doctor is reporting a case of transmission that happened outside. The risk of transmission outdoors is very small, but not zero, so it needs to be considered. That consideration played out in an Ontario hospital this week. Critical care physician Dr. Brooks Fallis posted on Twitter about a patient who was diagnosed with COVID-19 after a backyard gathering. The patient told Fallis how he thought outdoors is always safe. You know, virus will clear rapidly, but that doesn't mean it was never there. So if you spend an extended period of time in close proximity outdoors, you still are at risk of transmission. Experts agree masks and physical distancing add more layers of protection. But some doctors say they're worried that by making examples of large crowds at parks or stores, it could lead to unintentional consequences. What we're looking for is drivers of transmission and being outdoors is not something that's going to really increase hospitalizations down the road. So I worry that by uh, stigmatizing outdoor gatherings that we're going to 
Uh, we're going to force those gatherings indoors, and that, and that would be the worst-case scenario. When it comes to what is allowed for outdoor gatherings, the rules differ across the country. In Quebec and regions where special emergency measures apply, private indoor and outdoor gatherings are, for the most part, prohibited. In Ontario, a province-wide stay-at-home order remains in effect. Outdoor gatherings are limited to five people as long as physical distancing is maintained. And in Alberta, outdoor social gatherings are limited to 10 people with physical distancing. Experts say one of the best things you can do is have a plan in place with people in your household before heading outside. Important to identify what your deal breakers are before you're outdoors in scenarios you might not anticipate. And knowing those deal breakers ahead of time make it very easy for you to enter and exit situations to ensure that you can keep yourself safe. Catherine Board, Global News, Toronto. In Spruce Grove, Alberta, some tense moments today outside a controversial church. Hundreds protesting COVID-19 health orders. Today was the first Sunday since Grace Life Church was ordered closed and fenced off by Alberta Health Services. As Morgan Black reports, many of the people protesting may not have even been affiliated with the church. Hundreds gathered outside Grace Life Church Sunday to protest restrictions and to show support to a congregation that flouts public health rules. I am a 64-year-old woman who objects to the restrictions that have been put in place by our government. A convoy of Grace Life supporters left Calgary early in the morning to meet others camped out near the church. Traffic enforcement on Highway 627 and back roads meant many arrived on foot. This Lethbridge pastor says he came to send a message to the province. To show my support and to fight for our God-given rights and freedoms. On Saturday, Premier Jason Kenney noted that the province has never suspended congregational worship. It just has a capacity limit. The irony of this case is that Alberta has had the greatest protection for the exercise of religious freedom, including the freedom of worship, of, every prov of any province in Canada. In a statement, RCMP say while everyone has the right to a peaceful freedom of expression, the general public have the right to a safe environment. Global News spoke to more than a dozen on scene. None were affiliated with Grace Life Church. The Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, which represents the church, tells Global News it has no control over church grounds at this time and it has not been involved in organizing, planning or promoting any protests. Around noon, some protesters ripped down the fences that blocked public access to Grace Life. That marked the end of the event for many. The peaceful protest is that you can take this building and you can cover it with a mask, but you cannot stop us from worshipping the Lord. Those that usually worship in this space, Pastor James Coates and his congregation, were not on scene. But for those who came to show support, that didn't matter. It's much bigger than Grace Life for me. Morgan Black, Global News. More members of the royal family paid tribute to Prince Philip today. His daughter, Princess Anne, highlighted her father's legacy of charity work. And Prince Andrew made a rare public statement, too. He stepped away from public life in 2019 following allegations of sexual misconduct over his association with convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Redmond Shannon has more. The maple leaf at half-mast over Canada House, one of countless flags across the UK, marking eight days of national mourning for Prince Philip. 
His two youngest sons, Princes Andrew and Edward, attended church in Windsor on Sunday, speaking to staff about their father. I have to say that the extraordinary tributes and the memories that everybody has had and been willing to share has been so fantastic. A rare public appearance for the Duke of York since he stepped away from public life following sexual misconduct allegations linked to Jeffrey Epstein. It's a great loss. I think the way I would put it is that we've lost almost the grandfather of the nation. In a statement, their sister, Princess Anne, lauded her father's charity work, saying we will miss him, but he leaves a legacy which can inspire us all. Now that the more senior royals have spoken about the passing of the Duke of Edinburgh, attention turns to Prince Harry, who will fly in from California for Saturday's funeral. It will be the first time Harry will see his close relatives since revealing details of family tensions in the Oprah Winfrey TV interview involving him and his wife, Meghan Markle. The friction that we are told has arisen is a friction better ended as speedily as possible. Former UK Prime Minister John Major hopes collective loss can bring the family together. A shared grief at the present time because of the death of their father, of their grandfather, I think is an ideal opportunity. I hope very much that it is possible to mend any rift that may exist. COVID-19 rules mean travellers like Harry have to isolate on arrival in England but can attend funerals on compassionate grounds. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. A black and Hispanic army officer is suing two Virginia police officers for drawing their guns and threatening him during a traffic stop that likely should never have taken place. Get out of the car, now! Open the door, get out of the car! Hold, 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 hold. Keep your hands outside the window. You received an order. Obey it. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly afraid to get out. Can I? Yeah, you, you should be. Get out. Get out. Get out the car. Get out now. According to the lawsuit, Army officer Caron Nazario was driving in a newly purchased SUV the night of December 5th last year when he was stopped by police for allegedly driving without license plates. His lawyer says a new vehicle tag was clearly visible in the rear window. Police body cam video shows officers pepper spraying Nazario while he asks what's going on. After threatening to execute him, he was eventually placed in handcuffs. The lawsuit says officers later warned Nazario not to complain about their treatment of him, threatening to criminally charge him. He was ultimately not criminally charged or cited for any traffic violation. They knew they were in the wrong, and then they threatened to destroy a man's career if he called him out on it. Nazario is asking for at least $1 million in damages. Iran is calling a power blackout at the Natanz nuclear site, a case of nuclear terrorism. Iran State TV reported the blackout occurred today, just hours after starting up new advanced centrifuges that more quickly enrich uranium. It was the latest incident to strike one of Tehran's most secured sites as negotiations are underway over the 2015 nuclear accord with world powers. The New York Times is now reporting the blackout was caused by an explosion and is confirming an Israeli role in the incident. Severe storms on Friday night led to a roof collapse at a home in Jackson, Mississippi. Have a look at this. Surveillance cameras capture the house 
captured the entire incident, rather. The homeowner says his family and friends began to feel the house shake during the storm. Moments later, the roof came crashing down. Fortunately, everyone was able to get to safety. The collapse was caused by a large tree that had toppled onto the chimney. Forest officials in a rural area of southeastern India rescued an elephant calf on Saturday from a narrow well. The baby fell in while passing through the area with its herd. Forest officials used an excavator to reach the clearly traumatized calf. Then the fire department used ropes to pull it out. India has more than 50% of the world's Asiatic elephant population, but their number has dwindled in recent years due to speeding trains and vehicles and poaching. Coming up next, sunshine as far as the eye can see. Yvonne has the forecast, plus the discovery being called the most important in Egypt since the tomb of King Tut, plus. A pair of shoes is all you really need, and out you go. The impact of a sudden boom in the simplest sport in the world, and it's happening right here. Stay with us. Watching Global News Hour at 6. What's being called the most important discovery in Egypt since King Tut's tomb was found. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, this. A severe storm dropped baseball-sized hail overnight in southern Alabama. Video shot overnight in Orange Beach also shows hail hitting a condominium complex. You can see the hail splashing in the pool and uh, take a look at the size of these massive hailstones. There are reports of widespread damage to vehicles throughout the area and several thousand people lost power. And that was actually not overnight tonight, but last night overnight. Uh, nothing but sunshine <laughs> and roses for us down here on the south coast, though. Yeah, it's nice on days like this, Colleen, to be the messenger because we've got a great stretch of sunshine and temperatures are going to be on the rise. I'll show you some of the warmest days and what we're anticipating, especially for the interior. A gorgeous shot, this one captured in Maple Ridge. We've got the cherry blossoms out there. Ernie got, got this fantastic shot. Jericho Beach, this one taken by Stephanie with just a few clouds in the mix. And from Coquitlam, Lafarge Lake, this one also taken, so thank you so much. A great spring day out there today. Here's a shot overlooking English Bay. Temperatures, though, have been a touch cooler. Uh, the winds are going to pick up once again, and that'll be overnight and leading in towards the day on our Monday, so a heads up. We're currently sitting at 9. We've got a westerly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. Temperatures anywhere between 9 and 10 today along the south coast at 13 for Soyuz. Williams Lake today topped out at 5 degrees and still chilly for areas near Fort Nelson, just getting up to the freezing mark. Tonight it'll clear out with the winds though. Temperatures are going to cool down. We'll be down to two. So keep that in mind for the early morning hours. We'll see sunshine through the day for tomorrow and highs will bump up even warmer. 14 the average for this time of the year sits closer to 13 degrees. Weather feature that we're following in the big weather story is a ridge of high pressure that's going to continue to build in across the province. It'll strengthen over the next few days and we'll likely see some of the warmest temperatures midweek onwards Wednesday through Friday and the potential to continue to see the drying trend sunshine all the way in towards next weekend so stay tuned here's a glance at one spot across the province for the okanagan so we can see that on the temperature trend as we get midweek onwards for most areas across the province that's we'll start to see that bump in temperatures now the northern half of the province tomorrow some breaks dry conditions 
A few spots near Sandspit could see an increase in cloud cover, but still remaining dry. The northeastern corners tomorrow, temperatures will start to rebound anywhere between 6 and up to 10 degrees near Fort Nelson. Across the central interior, sunny and dry, and the southern half of the province into the double digits with Kamloops potentially up to 14 degrees. Whistler looking to see highs up to 10 and along the south coast. We still do have windy conditions overnight and through the day on Monday, but pleasant spring temperatures and warming up as we get in towards. I don't really use the seven Ooh. day often, Colleen, but it's, <laughs> it's justified for this long range forecast, especially as we get in. So Friday, Saturday, we can see those numbers. It's still a few days out, but low 20s, maybe Friday, Saturday, 23 and 24 degrees away from the water. It's gorgeous. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. We are getting our first look at an amazing discovery in Egypt. A team of archaeologists found an ancient city believed to be 3,400 years old piece of sand can tell us the life of the people, how the people lived in that time when Egypt ruled the world. Amazing stuff. The lost city rising from the sand appears to be untouched, almost intact. Crews have been digging since September and they're going to continue to do so as they look for clues about who lived here. And this is said to be the most important discovery since King Tut's tomb found nearly 100 years ago. And uh, apropos of nothing, here's something you don't see every day. These horses have taken grooming to new heights by doing it themselves. A global Edmonton viewer sent in this video of Louis, a 12-year-old quarter horse, using his mouth to hold a brush and groom his uncle named Bear. The horse's owner says Louis loves to help out wherever he can. If you want something done right. Yep. You gotta do it yourself. <laughs> so cute. Great story. Barry, what do you have coming up? Uh, well, you uh, referenced it uh, very early on in the show, a bit of a false start for the Canucks. They were hoping to open up the facilities and get a workout in and maybe have some uh, individual ice sessions, but another uh, positive COVID. I think at least uh, on the positive, you can look at that the players have been isolated from each other for, uh, what, 9, 10, 11 days now. So... If you think about that, I'm no Marcus Welby, which is a really old reference, but I believe that they should be okay. I, I, I don't think they're expecting any trouble, so we hope they open tomorrow and uh, get back in business. But uh, just when you think you know what's going to happen with this COVID. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Barry. Coming up next, when the rubber hits the road. I can guarantee you that if you head out for you know a 20-minute, 30-minute walk or run, uh, you're going to feel better. Why pandemic running is taking off, and it's not about weight loss. Next on the News Hour. Surging, getting outdoors for recreation and exercise is one of the few things we can do safely. Over the past year, we have seen runs on bikes, skis, even hiking gear. And now with the weather improving and more and more of us, well, we are hitting the streets for another outdoor activity. And as Paul Johnson reports, it's led to another pandemic boom. Sunny spring Sunday in Vancouver. You couldn't have a better day to get a run in. When I was in school, I was on the cross-country running team. Shane Park is a 50-something airline pilot. Like a lot of people, he was a big runner in his youth, but fell out of it as life got busy. Now he's back. It's simple. If you have spare half an hour or 40 minutes, you can just put on your shoes and you can just go for a run. As a sport, running's waxed and waned over the years. The late 70s saw the first big running boom, then known as jogging. The movie Chariots of Fire nicely captured the simple exhilaration of running that so many were into. 
But new exercise trends came along, and for competitors, the domination of runners from East African countries like Kenya meant there were few stars in North America. We're seeing a bit of a running boom. Fast forward to the COVID pandemic, and running's appeal is easy to understand. With many gyms and facilities closed, stores like Running Room in Vancouver are seeing a big uptick in shoes and apparel sales. People are doing the right thing. They're heading outside for their exercise. Um, and there, a lot of people are coming back to a sport they hadn't been with for years. But there may be something else going on as well. Of all the different ways you can work out, runners will tell you there's a kind of primal exertion they experience. That's one of the best antidotes to the stress we're all experiencing right now. If you go for a run, it doesn't have to be a huge run, whatever suits you. But after you're finished, it's hard to feel worked up. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. And I, too, am a born-again runner. Coming up in sports, we've got more about the Canucks and the first for the Masters. Barry's got the details. And after the greens, we're going to show you the reds, purples, and yellows of one of the most spectacular festivals in B.C. Stay with us. Get ready for RBC Race for the Kids Home Edition. Throughout May, virtually join participants from across the province during BC's largest family fun run. Don't miss the activities and a fun-filled virtual celebration, all to support childhood cancer and mental health initiatives at BC Children's Hospital. Join Chris Galis and Yvonne Schell for this year's virtual Strathcona Rotary Hoopathon. Help Vancouver Rotary Clubs raise funds to support the Strathcona Basketball Program, award scholarships, and more. Hoopathon.ca for info. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Perfect weather for the annual Tulip Festival, but what you need to know before you go. We're going to have that for you right after sports with Barry. And you know, Barry, I just keep thinking, I will believe the Canucks are back when I actually see them on the ice. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. They haven't played since the 24th, which is yeah. 18 days, and they still got another five before they hit the That's ice. So that is quite the break. Yeah, mm -hmm. thanks, Colleen. The Canucks were all set to reopen their facilities today after being shut down since uh, March 31st. But you know what they say about the best laid plans? Uh, they often go awry. And unfortunately, the Canucks did get a positive COVID test today from a member of the taxi squad, so they remain closed for business. They could open tomorrow, but they again will need to be clear on the medical side of things, and they probably won't know until the morning, but it just tightens up an already tight schedule to get back on the ice. They are hoping to resume full team practices Wednesday, play their first game Friday against Edmonton at Rogers Arena. But as we know, things can change rather suddenly during a pandemic. Corey Connors has found Augusta National to his liking, especially his last two trips to the Masters. Last year, the Canadian finished tied 10th, which got him an invitation back for this year. And he began today's final round in sixth place, just five shots off the lead of Japan's Hideki Matsuyama. Connors went out in the third to last group, hoping he could uh, post a good number and put some pressure on the leader. Connors looking relaxed, shot 68 yesterday right in this thing and he got off to a solid start on the par five second got there in two this is for eagle 
Nice effort, but slides by. It's still a tap in birdie. Connors gets it to seven under par. He was tied for second at one point, but the front side at Augusta is tough. And Connors boarded the bogey train at the fifth and unfortunately took a pretty long ride. Tee shot at the par three sixth, which he aced yesterday over the green, would make bogey. He double bogeyed seven, bogeyed the eighth, five over in a four hole span. He did recover to finish tied eighth after a two over 74, which means he'll be back next year. And he also won 345,000. Meanwhile, Matsuyama bogeyed his first, but he got through that wobble. This was a key shot. Long par putt at the fifth, knocks down the 17 footer. Is lead is three shots. He birdied the par 5 eighth and then followed it up at number nine. Short iron in hand and Matsuyama knocks it to three feet. He would make another birdie and uh, he navigated the difficult front side and two under stretched his lead to five shots. But it would be no stroll down Magnolia Lane for Matsuyama. Four shot lead playing the par 5 15th. His second shot and maybe the adrenaline was pumping too much. Maybe he should have laid up, but Matsuyama just crushes one way over the green and into the water. The penalty area. Oops. I guess this thing isn't quite over yet. And while Matsuyama made bogey there, Xander Schauffele playing in the final group with Matsuyama hits a fantastic bunker shot, makes his fourth straight birdie, and all of a sudden, that five-shot lead is down to two. And up ahead of this group, Young Will Zalatoris with his approach shot at the 17th. And he lands that to just a few feet. He got to nine under par, and he too was just a couple of shots off the lead. So it's game on. Now Shoffley at the tee at the par 316th. A chance to really tighten the screws on Matsuyama. But his shot will bounce off the green and kick into the water. Shoffley would make a triple bogey, and just as fast as he was back in it, he was done. But Zalatoris kept the heat on, long par putt at 18, and the kid knocks it down. Zalatoris, who doesn't even have full PGA Tour privileges, is solo second at 9-under. Matsuyama, though, only needed a bogey at 18 to win, and that's what he got as he taps in right here for the bogey five. It's an historic moment as Hideki Matsuyama becomes the first Japanese man to win the Masters and win a major as well. It's a one-shot victory over Zalatoris and Matsuyama now has official hero status in Japan as he slips on his first ever Masters green jacket. Congratulations to him. Well, good news at the World Men's Curling Championships in Calgary. They had no more positive COVID tests after being forced to shut down yesterday when some players exiting the bubble tested positive. So they are able to finish up the championships today, although it will be a late finish tonight. Semifinals did go today. Competitors all wearing masks. The Russia Curling Federation taking on Scotland came down to the 10th end. Scotland leading 4-3, facing 2 Russia counters. They need to draw a full eight foot for the win and no problems for the Scots. They win at 5-3, so they'll advance to the final against Sweden tonight, 8 p.m. our time. NBA action. Raptors at Madison Square Garden to play the Knicks. Kyle Lowry back in the lineup after missing a couple weeks with a toe infection. Toronto's R.J. Barrett starring for the Knicks in his second NBA season. Still only 20. Barrett's really improving his shooting this year. Proves it by knocking down the corner three right there. Later in the first, look at the play by Lowry to save the ball from going out of bounds. 
Pascal Siakam to Gary Trent Jr. for the flush, but Toronto trailed 27-16 against a Knicks team that's number one in points allowed defense. Julius Randle having a great year for New York, lays it in, Knicks by 11. Raps have a new player, and he's Canadian. Montreal's Kem Birch, former Orlando Magic, signed a contract uh, this weekend, gets his first Raptors bucket from Lowry, and will update it 76-66 Knicks in the third. NHL today, West Division matchup between Vegas Golden Knights and Arizona. Arizona just a point out of a playoff spot, but Vegas got the game's only goal. Thomas Noshek, the marksman. Golden Knights win 1-0. And check out those shiny golden helmets for the Golden Knights. Marc-Andre Fleury, 14 saves for the shutout. Also tonight, Capitals and Bruins. Washington leading the East Division, and the Bruins are in fourth. But it was all Washington. A big first period for the Caps already up 1-0. Lars Eller walks around the D and roofs it short side. 2-0 Caps. And they weren't done yet. A pretty three-way pass play finished off by Connor Sherry. 3-0 Washington after one. They go on to roll the Bruins 8-1. Also a trade today. The Leafs got Columbus captain Nick Foligno for a 2021 first-round pick. Western Hockey League today. From uh, Kamloops, it was the Blazers beating Victoria 4-3. Blazers 6-1, best record in the B.C. division. And some soccer to finish. English Premiership today, Tottenham Hotspur hosting Manchester United. It was tied 1-1 in the second half. United take the lead. Edinson Cavani with the flying header, a fantastic goal. 2-1 United, and they put it away late in added time. Mason Greenwood will smash it in. 3-1 the final. Man, you now seven points up on third place Leicester City. City and 11 back of first place Man City with the game in hand. And the Blue Jays, if you're wondering, got rained out against the Angels and the Mariners beat Minnesota 8-4. There you go. Wrapped it up. Thanks so much, Barry. When we come back, one of the most beautiful sights in B.C. right now. We'll show it to you next. A popular Fraser Valley attraction reopened today after a one-year hiatus. Have a look. Last year, the pandemic hit with a, with a bang. Well, for those of us who love the spring colors and who doesn't, Chilliwack Tulips is back. That's the name of the festival. Not bad grammar. Because of the pandemic, organizers are asking only local residents to come this year. Among the safety measures this year, tickets are only being sold online and admission is being strictly controlled. Those lucky enough to get in will see 20 acres of blooms. For this week that we're opening, we're calling this the early blooms because we're celebrating the hyacinths. So we have about three acres of hyacinths in full bloom right now, and they should be in full bloom throughout this week. Um, with the hot weather coming, they might finish sooner than we wanted, but we can't control that. We also have double daffodils, our early varieties in full bloom. And our tulips, our early tulips, are. we have a huge field of early tulips that are just nearing full bloom right now at the back of our fields. Oh, I bet it smells spectacular there, too. Chilliwack Tulips runs for the next four weeks. My flowers don't look like that. No? A lot of weeds. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's the news hour. Fertilize. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Have a good night.